good God and God is a merciful God and God is to be trusted he's saying Lord you promise these things so if we're in a trial and I'm sure there's some people here right now where things are just hard things aren't going the way you expected you could say Lord your word says that all things are going to work together for good for those who love you and for those who are the called according to your purpose so Lord I can't fathom how you're going to do it but do it is life hard right now do you feel like everything is piled on top of you Today, Pastor Daniel teaches us to pray God's character and God's work back to him with humility. When life gets rough, remind God what he said and who he is. When we do this, we're garnering God's attention and we're reminding ourselves who God is. God is a good God. And he said that all things will work together for good. Let's thank him because he will come through. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 32 as he begins his message, The Reunion. Let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 32. As we continue this study through the book of Genesis, our last message, Lord willing, in this Patriarch series, Genesis chapter 32. I've entitled this message, The Reunion, because really this is going to be bringing to a close the whole reason why Jacob ended up with Laban in the first place. Remember, we saw Jacob with his, the two daughters of Laban, Leah and Rachel, and all of his boys, they fled from Laban, and they fled with all of their goods. Really, the reality was, is now Jacob is running into In his mind, his arch rival, his brother Esau. Remember the last time he saw his brother Esau? Esau was comforting himself by planning on killing Jacob because Jacob lied to his father Isaac and received the blessing of the firstborn. And Esau was mad. And so Jacob's mother sent him away, said, hey, listen, you better go because your brother Esau is going to kill you. And now in chapter 32, now we have Jacob returning back to the land of his family. It's been some 20 years, and he just doesn't know what he's going to end up with with his brother Esau. So that's the context of where we are. So let's jump right on in. Genesis chapter 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanim. Right away, Jacob and Laban are separating. Remember, where they made a covenant with one another and they set up stones. And they said, listen, we're not going to do harm by each other. We're not going to cross the stones. And now as Jacob goes to leave, right away, a number of angels show up and they met with him. And I think this is kind of fascinating because oftentimes God shows up when we need him the most or God sends some circumstances when we need them the most. Now, I don't know about you all, but I kind of wish that those mountaintop experiences, this, I mean, you can imagine when God's angels come and meet with Jacob that, hey, this is probably a pretty cool thing that's going on. And oftentimes we want this all the time, don't we? It's like we just want to live on the mountaintop. We want to live in a lifestyle where everything is just, wow, it's a God thing. 
And the reality is, is for most of us, we have these mountaintops experiences, but really all of the growth comes in the valley. That really following Jesus is not like one perpetual, exhilarating Bruce Willis film where it's like, but a lot of it is we have these moments where God illuminates himself to us in various ways. And then we have to go about the heavy lifting of just everyday life just doing the things that are in front of us. Jacob just ends up meeting with Laban. It's all this contention. He's preparing to see his brother Esau again, and then the angels show up. And he even says here, he says, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanim, which literally in the Hebrew means a double camp. That's what it means. Or two hosts. This is God's place. We're here and God's hosts are here. Not a bad way to start the chapter. Look at verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight." Then the messengers returned to Jacob in verse 6, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So, (laughs) you're not, you're laughing because you're not Jacob, right? So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company will be left to escape. You have to remember, we just talked about the mountaintop. And no doubt for Jacob, meeting these angels, they came to minister to him on God's behalf. That was a great thing. But oftentimes, after the mountaintop comes the issues. We find that in the life of the disciples. Remember the the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were on the mountaintop with Jesus when Jesus' essential glory was turned outward. We call that the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus... The glory that he had with the Father before the world was, that was encased in flesh, was turned outward. And they got to see that. And remember Peter, you know, Peter with foot and mouth disease? You got to love Peter. Lord, let us make some tabernacles for you, Moses and Elijah. And the Lord just like, no, no, we're not doing that, Peter. Just watch. Don't, don't, don't interject yourself into this. But remember, they had this great experience. And then they come down and what happens? They run right into a demon-possessed man. And so the reality is, is that Jacob just has this great experience with God's messengers, the angels. And right away, he comes and he sends messengers on out to his brother Esau. And he says, listen, I've been with Laban for these years and I'm coming to, I want to find favor in your sight. I want to find some grace in your eyes. And notice they came back and they said, your brother Esau, and he's coming with 400 men are with him. And Jacob gets freaked out. Now what Jacob doesn't realize is that Esau's just excited to see him and he's bringing his whole entourage with him. See, this is the problem. This is the problem when we live lives that are not up to par with the standards that God has for us. You always got to be looking over your shoulder. See, Jacob schemed his father's blessing, and now he's going to see his brother again. He's not excited. He's nervous. 
I remember I heard, and it's a pretty common phrase, it says, you know, the best thing about never telling a lie is you never have to remember what someone told you or what you said to somebody because the truth is the truth and you know what it is. But if you're telling stories, if you're finagling, if you're trying to do things and work things out, you have to remember what you're telling people because later they're going to be like, oh, well, I thought this was the case. And that's the problem with sinful living. I have a, a friend who calls it the sin tax. The tax of sin. See, Jacob should be excited to see his brother. His brother's coming out with 400 people and Jacob's thinking to himself, I'm at the end of the road. It says he's greatly afraid and distressed. After a 20-year reunion with his twin brother, he's freaked out. And so Jacob gets a plan. He divides the people into two companies. And he says, look, if Esau attacks the first company, then I'll be able to get away with the second company. I mean, you can imagine if you're part of Jacob's people, if he said, okay, you're going to be in the first company, you're going to go ahead. It's like, yeah, thanks, Jake. Really nice of you. But that's the plan. If, if Esau comes and he wants a fight, he'll end up with the first company and then the second company will be able to get away. Now, picking up in verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob's in trouble. He's freaked out. And you know what? This is when you really, Jacob prays the best. And that is the blessing of hard times. When things are rough, that's when we pray with the most earnestness. I mean, I love Jacob's prayer. Jacob, who has done all these different things, some good things, some bad things, he calls out to the God of his father, Abraham, the God of his father, Isaac. He says, Lord, you said to me, return to your family and I'll deal well with you. And he's like, Lord, I'm not worthy of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant. See, because he's in trouble, he comes and he's humble. He's like, Lord, I'm not worthy of all that you've done for me. That's the the silver lining in trials for us. And I always say to the Lord, Lord, I want to learn how to pray with the same fervency when everything's going well. Because think about it, when something goes wrong, we mobilize the masses, right? Everyone you talk to who loves the Lord, you're like, listen, you got to pray for me because this, this, this. And then once things go well, we kind of ease off on the prayer. And it's like, what would happen if we stayed as pressed in because our needs are still the same. We are totally in need of God, right? But this is when Jacob is really pressing in. And he's praying with humility. And know what else he's doing here? He's praying because of who God is and what God has said. He prays on two fronts. He prays the character of God and he prays the word of God. I'm not really big on formalizing prayers or saying this is the right way to pray. But the reality is when you pray in accordance with God's revealed character, and when if you pray in accordance with God's revealed word, 
Most often, you're going to be very content with what goes on. Because God is a good God, and God is a merciful God, and God is to be trusted. He's saying, Lord, you promised these things. So if we're in a trial, and I'm sure there's some people here right now where things are just hard. Things aren't going the way you expected. You could say, Lord, your word says that all things are going to work together for good for those who love you and for those who are called according to your purpose. So, Lord, I can't fathom how you're going to do it, but do it. And for some of you, you know, you're like, Jesus said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you could say, but Lord, I feel weighed down with cares. I have such concern. Lord, will you let your peace that surpasses all understanding guard my heart and mind right now? Sometimes when we can't formulate the prayers of the things that we think we need, we should say, just Lord, I'm just going to pray your word. And this is why memorizing scripture is so important. Because once you memorize scripture, all of a sudden it just starts popping out of you. Now, people might say, well, Pastor Daniel, memorizing scripture is really hard. No, no, listen. This is how you memorize scripture. You take an index card. You write one scripture on the front and one on the back. And you stick it in your pocket. And when you're sitting at the coffee shop line, rather than just, you know, scrolling through your phone, Facebooking it, then you take out your little card and you get your face in the book, the Bible. And just read it. Read it. And flip it over and read it. And then later on, when you're sitting waiting for the microwave to pop out your favorite microwavable meal, just read it. And read the other side. And I guarantee you, within two or three days, those two scriptures, you'll have it memorized. And then you know what you do? You make a new card with two more scriptures. And two more scriptures. And then you start feeling a little bit confident. And then you start putting four scriptures on it. And before you know it, a couple months later, you got all these verses that you could just pop out in a moment of need. Like if you're somebody who just struggles, man, I don't know if God loves me, just, just pull it on out. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And every time you start saying, Lord, I can't believe you love me, then all of a sudden that verse pops up like a, like a pop-up window on your brain's browser. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And now all of a sudden your thoughts and then God's heart for you then you have to choose one. And although you want to choose what comes naturally, which is, I don't know if God really loves me, all of a sudden the word of God just goes. And you realize that God's word, that's pop-up, that's the right browser to be looking at. And that other stuff, that's the junk mail. See, when we know God's word, when we've taken God's word and placed it in our hearts that we won't sin against him, then they begin to fight on our behalf. Remember the, uh, the armor of God? What's our one offensive weapon? The sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. And of course, prayer is our offensive as well. Because he goes on to talk about praying. But the one piece of armor that is our offensive is the word, the sword. And we should be skilled with the sword. We should be skilled with it. We should know it. We should say, God, I want to place it in my heart. I get this from guys a lot. You know, I just can't, I just can't remember scripture. But then you ask about their favorite sports team. They know every guy, they know every rookie year, every number. Oh yeah, last year he had 46 home runs. And, but the year before that he was hurt. He was on the DL for like 13 weeks. And you know, and they have every fact. And you're like, what? You, so you can remember your favorite baseball. Just to tie it back in, listen, brothers and sisters, pray based on God's character and based on his word.
when things are wrong, pray based on God's character. God, you're a good God. You're a gracious God. You're a wise God. You know what you're doing. And Lord, your word tells me this. Your word tells me that I'm your child. Your word tells me that even though I fail and my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart. And Lord, when Jesus was on that cross, he said, it is finished. And Lord, it is finished. You bought me back from my bondage, and you made me your child. You adopted me into your family. And God, let that mold the way I think, the way I feel. And let's put God's word in our hearts. We should memorize God's word. Place it deep in our heart, as the psalmist wrote, that we might not sin against him. Now, it's interesting, because Jacob prays, right? And then right away, he goes back into kind of planning mode. And George Mueller, who was, if you know anything about George Mueller, who was a great man of faith, he was once asked what the most important part of prayer was. And he replied, the 15 minutes after I have said, amen. Think about that. The mo- he said, the most important part of prayer is the 15 minutes after I said, amen. Because what happens for most of us in prayer is we cast our cares upon the Lord and we trust him and then we have to go out into real life. And it's almost like, yeah, I gave him all my cares, but right as I said, amen, I took them all back again. How many of you guys know what that's like? I know what that's like. Where you're like, you're like, Lord, you're God, you got this. And you say, amen. And then right away something happens and we lose it. So George, it's it's wisdom here. Because Jacob Praise God, you promised that you were going to protect me. You're going to bring me back. You're going to do well by me. But then look what happens in verse 13. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. And he had commanded the second and the third and all who followed the drove saying, in this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. So Jacob decides, look, I just prayed. I'm trying to trust in God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give all these gifts to my brother Esau. So he said he's going to set them up in droves. Overall, if you count them all up, you get 550 heads of cattle. That's a pretty big gift in that culture. Cattle was the currency that people had. So this would be like saying you want to appease somebody and you're giving them half of your net worth. That's what he's doing here. And he's sending them over in droves so that when Esau, who are you and where are you from and what are these? They say, look, I'm with Jacob and these are gifts for you. So he's doing all these things to try and appease Esau. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And he's sending them in droves because he doesn't know what's going to happen. 
Notice what it says at the end of verse 21. But he himself lodged that night in the camp. Now in verse 22, then he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. So look at what happens. He takes, we get a recap, all of his family, his two wives, the two female servants, which he also had children with, and his 11 sons. So he got his four wives and his 11 children, and they pass over. And then in verse 24, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which means the face of God. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. This is one of the most confusing sections in Scripture. Because if you really think about what's going on, Jacob is alone by the river Jabbok and a man shows up. That's all it says. Man, simple word, ish. One of the simplest Hebrew words. This man shows up and Jacob and this man start grappling. They start wrestling. So if you were watching the Olympics at all, you have a good idea of what wrestling looks like. Hand to hand, very close combat. It doesn't tell us anything about this man other than this man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, which means this wasn't like a quick wrestling match. This was a long, drawn-out match. Now, what's fascinating about this is that it's such a crazy verse because it's so simple. They don't really tell us anything about it. All we know is that they were wrestling. Notice it says that when he saw that he did not prevail, speaking of this man against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So as they're wrestling, this man touches Jacob's hip socket. Now all of a sudden, his hip socket goes out of joint. And the man says, let me go as the day breaks. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. As long as people have been interpreting the Bible, both for rabbis and for Christians, you realize that there's something very profound going on here. And the reality is, is that sometimes in prayer, sometimes we have to wrestle with God. We don't like to think about it that way, do we? Jesus is real. Did you ever notice that God shows up when we need Him the most? Pastor Daniel reminded us today that life is not always a mountaintop experience. Life can get very hard. During these times, Pastor Daniel said, we need to remind God of two things. We need to tell God who He is and what He promised. Certainly, God already knows these things, but praying in this way catches his attention and reminds us of these truths. Hey, everybody. 
Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel will continue to teach us lessons from the life of Jacob. God wrestled with Jacob and disjointed his hip and changed his name. When we wrestle with God, he'll change our reality too. He'll reset our priorities and give us a new identity. When we wrestle with life as believers, we have the hope of God's rescue. Praise God that we're not alone when we have that hope. That's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.